Good evening and welcome to the July 22nd, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm Eden Lane sitting in as your guest host with a great panel who have plenty to say. So let's dig right in. Topic one, GOP gubernatorial candidate Heidi Ganahl announced Danny Moore as her running mate. Moore is a business consultant and a 24-year Navy veteran. Moore also posted about a, quote, Democrat steal during the 2020 presidential elections. Meanwhile, Tina Peters and Ron Hanks have demanded recounts in the primary election. Peters even specifying a hand count in a late-night email. Neither has submitted the required payment for the recount they've requested, and a warrant for Peters' arrest was issued yesterday afternoon, and she's already turned herself in and posted bond. That was all for violating the terms of her previous bond. We're going to start off with Westward founder and editor Patty Calhoun in the leadoff chair. Patty, I don't know which part of that you're going to dig into first, but what sticks out to you in those events of the week for this coming election? Well, given the backdrop of last night's January 6th investigative primetime piece, you're like, why are people still talking about denying the election? Why are people saying these were all great patriots out there and that it's a patriotic position to deny the election? That Tina Peters and Ron Hanks have said that they, you know, they demand a recount for Colorado's election. And we all know that Colorado has been regarded as the gold standard for good elections. That was funny last week when we talked about it. Then when you found out that Tina, Tina Peters skated because her lawyer took the fall for mm -hmm. why she didn't know she couldn't go to Las Vegas, which, yeah, we all believe. But then she sent out the note to 64, 62 clerks saying that she wanted a hand count, recount of the election, violating the restraining order because she's not supposed to be in touch with the clerk's office in Mesa County. So Tina Peters is either not smart, doesn't understand exactly what's going on with her county clerk office, or just doesn't care, but she is a classic. You also wonder about Heidi Ganahl, which is, I know you want to find an interesting person to balance out the ticket, for the, the gubernatorial candidate and the lieutenant governor, but I would also suggest that it was not smart to go for a guy who not only is an election denier, but wound up being booted off the redistricting committee, a group of Colorado citizens, because of his position. So this is only going to get crazier as we head into November with Heidi Ganahl pushing with Danny Moore, with Tina Peters, still the county clerk, even though she's also under indictment. And I guess Ron Hanks is just along for the ride. We now turn to David Kopel from the Independence Institute. Uh, first, I want to ask you to touch on the idea that in Colorado law, the, a recount would have to be the same method that the election was held in, so a hand recount wouldn't be an option. And then rolling out a candidate usually is a, a big boost for a campaign. I wonder what advice yeah. you might give them. Well, let, let's, let's do for both. Go first, Lieutenant Governor. And, and to be precise, he was... Uh, he was on the uh, redistricting commission and had been elected the chair of that, and then the other commissioners removed him as the chair, but he was still on the, served on the commission, which most people think collectively did a good job. But uh, Moore had, had, among the things he wrote was, does anyone really believe that Joe Biden won 80 million votes? And the line now is, well, he was the, when I said it at the time, because I was trying to spark a conversation. Um, well, so let, let's, here's the conversation quickly. In, from 2018 to 2016, in those elections, 
turnout was 125 to 133 million people. And the, each of the major party candidates in those elections won between about 60 to 69 million uh, votes. In 2020, the population in the United States is bigger than ever, and the turnout was very high because after seeing Trump as president for four years, a lot of people had very strong feelings either for or against. So 158 million people turned out, and uh, of those, Biden won 81 million, Trump won 74 million. So that's a very easy conversation. It doesn't seem like it needs a lot of investigation. Um, and it makes me doubt uh, Moore's judgment in raising this. And moreover, it makes me doubt Ganahl's judgment because the people of the state are so ready not to be ruled by wokeotopists and their, their fantasy. But if you want to get the pro-reality voters, you yourself have to demonstrate that you live in reality and you're not going to go along with the Trump lies. On the, uh, as you said, on the recount, the regulations from Secretary of State Wayne Williams, uh, the previous Secretary of State, say when you do a recount, you do it the same method that the votes were originally counted. Uh, so uh, they have no leg to stand on at all. We're going to turn to Penfield Tate, a former legislator and founder of Tate Law. Penfield, because you have run for office before, I wonder what insight you could share with us about the expectations for rolling out your running mate and where they may have missed the mark on this rollout. Well, the, the expectation is when you roll out your running mate, it's going to give you a lift, at least temporarily, or say, hey, I'm paying attention to a constituency that I, as the primary candidate, don't really relate to or, or connect with. Um, and, and in all fairness, I think in many ways the Colorado Republican Party has done a better job of that with promoting candidates of color than the Colorado Democratic Party has. I mean, I think back to Vicki Buckley, I think back to Joe Rogers, I think back, and I apologize, I cannot remember the guy who was the Senate candidate, but he's the one who did the workout commercials right. for his Senate <laughs> campaign. But he was the nominee for the Republican Party. Um, and now this guy. And, and, I, and I, so callously, I, I get the political calculation, but he is not the right guy to put forward in a time when the Colorado Republican Party is trying to show, to David's point, that we're dealing in truth, fact, and reality, and not the former president's la-la land version of what didn't happen, that no rational person believes anymore. And you have the former chair of the, of the Republican Party saying, our only hope is to get people who are grounded in fact as our nominees, because these election denier people just won't carry weight with the state of Colorado. I don't know why she names this guy. Um, and uh, as David has shown, his supported rationale for his statement is disproven. It's disingenuous and it makes no sense. Um, I don't have a lot to say about Tina Peters and the <laughs> other fellow stuff. Tina, just go to jail, do your time. Let's just get past you and accept the fact you'll probably never serve in elected office again because you can't do it competently and legally. And number two, you can't, apparently you can't comply with any judge's orders. So you probably ought to just go to jail, do your time, and let's be done. With that, we'll turn to topic two. Early Sunday morning in Lodo, Denver police opened fire while in pursuit of a suspect they said pointed a gun at them. Seven shots were fired in total and at least six bystanders were caught in the crossfire. Police are now being questioned about why on earth they would open fire in a crowded area. David, I, I know that it's the kind of thing that 
creates a lot of controversy whenever we see police officers having to use force in this way. But in a crowded area, and now they're only releasing stills rather than the actual video, can you help us decipher the explanation or what are your thoughts about what happened? Well, we, as you say, things still seem kind of murky uh, at, at this point, and there's more evidence to come out. But based on <clears throat> what, what seems so far is, by the police story, there is a criminal in a crowded area with his gun out. So, of course, you need to open fire on that guy because there's a lot of people who were in instant danger. So I, I think the shooting at him was, so far, clearly the right thing to do. Uh, the concern is you've got seven shots, uh, three of which hit the criminal, and somehow four others uh, end up in injuring six innocent people. And th that suggests to me uh, that there's room to improve handgun, combat handgun training in the Denver Police Department. You know, uh, training is expensive in, in itself, and it's also more expensive because every officer who's in training isn't on patrol, so you have to hire even more officers. But, you know, the Denver City government has oodles of money. It's upgraded police training in other ways. I, I think it's now time to, to look at uh, improving uh, defensive gun training. Penfield, this is clearly... Uh a difficult time for the city and for the Denver Police Department and also for the business owners in the area because we continue to see problems in this area. What is your take on how do we solve this while at the same time finding out what's happened with this incident? You know, I, I, there are several things that I think need to happen. First, um, sure, give the police more training, but We've got a city where we have a history of all of these massive judgments we, the taxpayers, are funding because the police have used excessive force or made horrific errors and lapses in judgment that have resulted in people getting injured, shot, killed, tased, maced, whatever, and the beat just goes on and on. So why these officers would go, and I get the fact that the perpetrator had a weapon, but why you would open fire in a crowded area knowing that there are more bystanders than there are potential perpetrators in the area is beyond my ability to understand. And so the <laughs> fact that, you know, four other people were hit, it's a miracle that seven people weren't hit because clearly marksmanship is not a strong suit with some of the folks who responded. Um, it, so the, the city, I think, needs to look at a different approach to security and policing, particularly in areas like Lodo and other areas where we know there are issues with crowds of people coming out of bars and establishments all at the same time, all being in a combined space and not having any way to deal with the situation. At least they were there, but it seems to me there was a better, more effective way to deal with the situation than firing randomly into a crowd of innocent people. Patty, we know that Lodo is an integral part of the appeal of Denver, and these kinds of incidents just make it more difficult for, for those business owners. One of the solutions that have been talked about recently was extending the hours past last call so that people would stay in these businesses until they sober up and maybe not have fights. However, um, what business wants to be mandated to stay open when they can't make money? What do you think about the kinds of solutions that are being proposed for the ongoing issues we're seeing in Lodo, and what would your advice be? Well, first of all, most bars in the ballpark neighborhood, which is actually what this was, a block north of Lodo, 
most of them would like to stay open later. They don't like let out either, which is right before 2 a.m. when bars are dictated to close. This has been talked about for 15, 20 years in Denver as a solution to that area, Ballpark, now Rhino, Lodo, where there are crowds of people leaving the bars right before 2 o'clock, and there have been problems down there historically for decades mm -hmm. because of it. In this case, you had the police on the scene because of problems in that area. 19th and Blake has been a hot spot this summer, last summer. So you had the police on. Why the police didn't do a better job if they were going to shoot the guy? Why it took three people to not really, uh, to actually hit six bystanders and kind of hit him, but not dis disable him? He is in the hospital, but he's not <coughs> dead. I mean, you would think with seven shots by the police, they could have done a little better job and maybe hit fewer bystanders. So th certainly there's an issue in how the police responded and their marksmanship issues. But also in this whole let out issue, Polis has even talked about it. We have the legal statewide laws in place that you can actually opt into common consumption in later hours. It's time for Denver to seriously look at that just to extend the numbers so it is not such a huge crowd. And we've talked about it for 20 years and it's time to do it. Well, we'll turn to topic three. We'll look back a little bit at last week's panelists because they shared their predictions for Mayor Hancock's last State of the City address. So tonight, we'll recap the address, and this panel will share their thoughts and highlights of the mayor's address. Penfield Tate, I want to know, what are your thoughts about this kind of um, ritual that we have of hearing from, from leaders, mayors, governors, that sort of thing? when? This, this time it felt as if there was not a whole lot of energy or substance behind what he had to say, nothing new. You, you know, I, I think a state of the city, state of the state, state of the nation address can be a powerful way for the elected leader of our government at that various le that level to talk about where we are and talk about how we move forward, to, to look forward. And, and clearly, in, in many instances, you're going to tout your accomplishments um, during that period of time. Um, I did not attend the, the uh, event this year, but um, I think, Eden, your description is what I've heard from everybody. Lackluster, boring, dull. Um, many people thought there weren't accomplishments to really tout, which sort of uh, put a damper on, on the event. And frankly, when you're in the last year of an administration, it's, it's a bit perhaps disingenuous to tout new programs because you're 10 months away from being gone. So it's not like you're going to get anything done. But, you know, there were some things, common themes were hit. Um, they talked about more money, direct payments to the homeless, which is an interesting approach and I know is already drawing criticism. Um, we, when you look at, at Denver, Denver statistics, they claim that we spend up to $104,000 um, on each homeless person. They, you know, they might be better off if you gave them direct assistance, but why you wait 12 years to try something like this is sort of lost on me. Similarly, down, system, down payment assistance for people who, who are, are homeless or on the margins. Again, why are you waiting 12 years to try something like this? You're not going to have time to see whether it's effective. Um, investing in helping minority and women-owned businesses start up. We used to have that program. It died during this administration, but now they want to refund it. Um, it was sort of, I, I would say, a replay of greatest hits, but the problem is most of them weren't great hits. So it was just a replay. 
Patty, what are your thoughts on the, the takeaways from this current State of the City address? I was surprised by how flat it was, and I had predicted uh, last week, I said the state of the city is flat. The Mile High City is deflated. We devoted a, a whole issue this week to the fact that Denver's lost its mojo. But I was surprised that Hancock, first time in two, three years, this is an in-person address, that they didn't take an opportunity to really highlight some of the things, and there have been some good things over the last 11 years, that they didn't bring out some of the entrepreneurs who have managed to make a go of it in Denver through the pandemic, that they didn't make it more people-based, it was policy-based, and as Penn said, a lot of the policies were old. Where, where have we been for 11 years that we're still pushing these? They could have been any city USA. What was most remarkable about the speech was how unremarkable it was. It just, it didn't have any mojo. There are good things going on in this city, and we should be pushing them. We should be talking about the people who have created great things, sometimes despite the city, certainly despite the pandemic. I will also say, Hancock was very lucky that the controversy that has come out of that shooting hadn't really reached its peak yet because that would have been a very different state of the city. David, do you think this is symptomatic of um, artificial term limits in that they, they don't get to run again, they know they can't run again, so there's less energy? And are there any highlights about what he did say that stick out to you? Well, um, it wasn't so much a state of the city speech as it was the state of Michael Hancock, <laughs> and with, which he assures us is, is quite excellent. Um, and in a way, it was, it was an audition tape uh, for him to be in the president's cabinet or, or some other office. And I'd say he deserves a lot of credit uh, for his program that he got started uh, to send mental health helpers either on the calls with police sometimes or sometimes instead of the police. And that's been working well, and in fact, it's starting to be, to be copied in, in other cities. But his, the overall state of the city under Mayor Hancock, you have the, the fiasco of uh, airport construction, and you know, just decide for yourself. It's, since 2011, has Denver become a better city or a worse city? I think uh, a lot of people would say it's become a lot worse under his tenure. We're gonna move on to a quick take for topic four, and it stays in Denver. Denver City Council has <coughs> unveiled their 2023 budget priorities to be reviewed by Mayor Hancock. And the highlights include housing and homelessness, public safety and climate re resilience, and there's also a new leadership on city council. So, Patty, what are your thoughts about what they've talked about or what they've pr put forth? Certainly not a surprise that they would be talking about homelessness issue, affordability, which is a obsession for good reason. How much Denver can do about the climate change is arguable, but we can say the e-bike rebate was a big hit, even if they couldn't handle the demand right away. I think Jamie Torres will do a great job as the council president. She's very involved in a neighborhood that hasn't had a lot of voice, so that'll be great. And I think St Stacey Gilmore, during a tough time, she remembers how you know she was inaugurated as the president while I think sitting in her basement. I think she did a good job. So I think council over the next They'll have a year without the new mayor in, and I think they will start feeling their oats and really be pushing to have a lot more influence. 
David, what's your quick take? Uh, good for them for wanting to put more money in, into funding for the, the tree canopy maintenance and, and expansion. Um, I'm skeptical about them wanting more taxpayer dollars for what they call uh, community engagement funding for city council offices, which is give us more money so we can market ourselves to the taxpayers who are paying for the marketing. And uh, then they've got a plan to drive small apartments out of business that says if, if some deadbeat won't pay rent, give the deadbeat a free lawyer to fight the eviction while the old lady who's running out her basement gets nothing. Penfield, your thoughts? You know, the interesting thing about um, this council proposal is, remember, this is a function of a charter amendment that this council pushed through and the voters approved because of their response and reaction to the fact that they thought that the mayoral administration wasn't really responsive to the needs of the city, so council wanted more say in drafting the budget um, and given a legislative background where we drafted the budget and just gave it to the governor, I understand that. Um, but I think the new council had some good ideas. Um, the funding priorities, they're obvious. Homelessness and affordable housing and gentrification are probably the issues that are most adversely impacting the city and, and resulting in it not being a better city than it was 12 years ago. I agree with Patty. Jamie Torres, I think, is going to be a great president of city council. She's uh, uh, sort of a breath of fresh air. She's among the newer wave of council people who wasn't part of the inner circle or establishment, sort of rose up from, from the neighborhoods and communities. And I think she's been a real good advocate for her, her district that hasn't always benefited financially in terms of tax dollar investment um, as compared to, to other uh, council districts. So I'm looking forward to, to good things from this, this new council leadership. So after that somewhat favorable review, we turn to this panel's favorite part of the week, they get to name their disgrace of the week. Patty. We now know <coughs> who spent $4 million on the worst campaign of the primary, the Senate Majority Pack, which paid to, uh, you know, talk about how Ron Hanks was too conservative for Colorado, how Greg Lopez was too conservative and, and flat out nuts for Colorado, in a move to try to get them to be the Republican nominees. Uh, but as it turned out, that money was all wasted. And in reality, maybe Greg Lopez would have been a better candidate against Jared Polis, because I don't think we could get off to a worse start than Heidi Canal has this week. David, your disgrace. You know, <clears throat> I heard that people in England are, are freaking out because they're having a very hot summer there. So I, you know, went on the computer and, and watched a British weather television broadcast. And you know what the temperature is over there? It's 40 degrees. Well, over here it's 90 <laughs> and we're not all complaining, for goodness sake. <laughs> Uh, Penfield, your disgrace of the week. Well said, David. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the ongoing saga of Tina Peters, as I said earlier, she just needs to go to jail and do her time. Um, but I'm really concerned about our, our police force and police department. Um, it's bad enough that there's a rise in crime, but when the police department are responsible for people getting shot, um, innocent people getting shot, um, there's a concern about possible recklessness there. Now, my favorite part of these discussions that we get to have here, something nice. Patty, do you have something nice to add? I actually do. When I was saying there have been good things that have happened in Colorado, just recently, the Arkans Promenade. So if you look at the old South Platte area heading down from National Western over down along Brighton, used to be a mess, used to be a cesspool. You see now the Rhino Art Park that's opened mm -hmm. there, which is a great facility with a branch library. 
Um, and you also now have the Arkans Promenade, which is a beautiful area. So there are things in Denver that are great that we should celebrate more and we should talk about more. David. Uh, to my surprise, the Denver government's plan for what it calls social equity in licensing for, for marijuana delivery um, actually is not racist and is fair. They give priority and licenses to people who's, who had a close family member who was arrested for marijuana. That's good. And then other priorities go to people who were very low income or who live in really uh, in impoverished neighborhoods. Um, <clears throat> and that's following up on Colorado's enterprise zone idea, which is to have, try and have less government regulation, more stimulation of commerce in, in poor neighborhoods. So good for the city council. Pinfield, you're something nice. Uh, I... Um I think it's community conversation, and what I mean that with, with the hot weather and everybody's talking about that, um, what people are also talking about and being more considerate about is the plight of the Colorado River and the the issue about availability of water in this community. Um, and so, as we continue to use only what we need, the fact that more and more people are being made aware of the plight of water scarcity in in our region, I think, is important. I get to assert my privilege of adding something nice to the conversation on behalf of the entire team at PBS 12. Longtime host Dominic DeZuti, who also started as an intern here, uh, was inducted to the Heartland Emmy's 2022 Silver Circle. And we all got to be there to, to, to witness it and celebrate his many contributions here. And a fond farewell to Julius Ames, our studio manager and jack of all trades, who was crucial to the success of this very show. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you all for joining the conversation. And don't forget to watch previous episodes or rewatch this one at pbs12.org and on the PBS 12 YouTube channel. And share your thoughts with us by emailing cio at pbs12.org. That's all for tonight. I'm Eden Lane. Good night.